Welcome, my friends, to the Bob and Brad podcast, produced by Bob and Brad, the two most famous physical therapists on the internet. I am Bob, and I'm exactly one half of the Bob and Brad team. And today I am joined by Dr. Eric Ekstrom and also Cynthia, let me get a last name correct, Conrad. And she's a physician's assistant. Uh, they're both at Summit, Summit Orthopedics. And primarily today, what we want to talk about is the procedure called Intercept. This is a brand new procedure, uh, not brand new. It's about five years old, um, very promising. Research has been very promising. We'll get into all that. But if you have chronic pain in the low back or back, um, you want to consider this. Uh, take a look at it because if you're a candidate, I think this might be the... Uh, answer for you. It's certainly not uh, very invasive, um, it, not invasive at all. It's not, uh, it is called a surgery, but it, uh, because you may have to go in, under anesthesia, but it, it really is uh, no hardware or anything put uh, within your spine, but we'll explain all that. Uh, so again, Dr. Ekstrom, uh, he's uh, board certified in physical medicine and rehabilitation. And prior to medical school, he was a dietitian and exercise uh, physiologist. And a uh, little interesting tidbit, uh, we both believe we were at Manicato State University at the same time, possibly one year. So uh, let's welcome these two people. Okay, welcome Dr. Ekstrom and Cynthia Conrath, uh, PAC. Um, yep. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you for having you. us. Really excited to hear about Intercept. Um, I've got some people I know already that I want to talk to them about this. Um, so that, that's a procedure that you have be, have started doing, Dr. Ekstrom, correct? Um, yeah, that's correct. And it's a fairly new procedure. I, I mean, it's only a couple years old, is that? Yeah, you know, the first commercial um, uh, use of Intercept was in 2018. Oh, uh, wow. It, yeah. So it is a new procedure. Um, of course, COVID kind of pulled it back a little bit. Sure. Um, but, um, you know, all things, you know, considered what's going on right now, we're, we're definitely out there doing this procedure. Right. And I know that you do a lot of surgeries too, not you yourself, but your clinics, correct? That's and uh, we, we are of the nature, which I'm sure you are too. Um, you want to try to avoid surgery if possible. And uh, you also want to try to avoid, you know, really invasive procedures. And this is neither one, correct? Well, it's, uh, it's definitely, uh, it's considered a surgical procedure because we do do it in, in an OR setting, you know, okay. hospital or ambulatory surgical center. Um, but uh, there's no hardware that's put in there. It is, this is just a, uh, a process of getting an introducer to a nerve that we're going to we'll talk more about. But um, when we're done, we're done. Everything is left as it should be. We don't alter any anatomy. Um, and as you as you probably know, when you get some of these uh, surgical procedures like fusion to treat this kind of condition, you uh, you can change therefore the anatomy and put people at risk for other issues as they age and so forth. Right, and sometimes that's hard to determine whether it's just part of aging or because the stresses have changed. And uh, so I, I wanna mention right away too that uh, in case people are, are interested in finding you people, uh, that we'll have a, I'll put their, their website below, that would be summitortho.com, correct? That's correct. Okay. and. Um, Dr. Ekstrom, you're at, are you at Buffalo Hutchinson and Plymouth, Minnesota clinics? Well, Am I correct? Yeah, I mean, my last name is Ekstrom, so I'm not really allowed to leave Minnesota. <laughs> I'm, uh, yeah, so I'm predominantly at Plymouth, um, and uh, as you mentioned, Buffalo and Hutchinson. Um, I do a lot of my work up at Maple Grove Hospital, part of the- Sure, yeah. And of course, you know, Summit's, uh, um, has access to Minnesotans and others, of course, you know, throughout the metro area and outreach area. 
Sure. Yeah, you have a lot of clinics up in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. And uh, Hutchinson, by the way, is not far from Glencoe, where I met my wife. Um, she she's from Glencoe, Minnesota, and I'm from Norwood, Young America. I don't know if you know where that is, but oh, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, and one other uh, piece of connection here. I went to Mankato State just for one year, but I was there in 1983. So I don't know what years you were there. I was. <laughs> I was there after after you, even though you you know I, I look. I was going to say I look. Uh, we look the same age. We're both still good looking, right? And <laughs> all that, but yeah, I was there. Uh, a man kid on the God. When was it? You said you were there eighty three. Eighty three. No, no, no. I was there. Yeah. Oh, we, it's funny. We could have had a class together. Maybe I it would have been. Or, we're probably at the Albatross. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I found that place once. <laughs> so, all right, why don't we get started here? Um, and Cynthia, you're a PC that works mainly with uh, non-operative patients. Well, yep. I guess it's really, now this procedure is, is considered uh, invasive. Right. Yeah, so. Yep, minimally invasive, yeah. So let's, let's start right in. It's called Intercept. And uh, could you explain in simple terms for people like us, uh, what it is? Yeah, so the, the intercept procedure is a, an ablation procedure or a procedure that burns off a nerve. This nerve is called basal vestibular nerve that um, we think connects up to those pain receptors within your spine that have been the cause of your chronic low back pain. Um, and uh, it is a uh, minimally invasive procedure. Uh, that we do, and uh, we'll go from there, yeah. Sure, and uh, what is the source of pain that's being addressed with this procedure? Um, so it, it kind of goes back um, about 30 years, actually, because uh, maybe I should say first that, you know, we've been treating chronic low back pain, these kinds of patients that have kind of gone through the wheel of treatment that it's probably a bad disc. That's the source of your right. pain. And uh, again, back, going back to that 30 years now, we really looked at the basic science again. And um, what we think is, is going on is the pain is not, not coming from the disc. And the disc is fairly inert. It's got a couple of nerves in it. But uh, actually, the pain's coming from the bone on either side of the disc. And when you think about the bone, I mean, that's where the density is for, you know, the vascular and nerves and all the action really that's occurring within the spine is, is predominantly, you know, within the bone, in this case, the vertebral body. So again, this is all research that's, that was done before, you know, intercept came along. When the disc starts to show some wear and tear, uh, it, it can disrupt what we call the end plate or where the bone um, meets the disc. And in any case, here we go. Yes, very good. <laughs> so specifically, you know, we're talking about right at the point of where the bone meets the disc. That's the end plate. And it can get disrupted by this disc breaking down, which breaks down the end plate. And then you get kind of an inflammatory reaction. And with that inflammatory reaction, uh, there, there, there's an activation and even a production of pain receptors or nociceptors. And so, again, the literature says, well, hey, actually the pain's not coming from the disc. It's, it's coming from this end plate disruption that's happening on either side of that bad disc, okay? Gotcha. So with that, with that kind of foundation, uh, along came Dr. Modic. And uh, about that time, MRIs were coming out. And he picked up on these changes in the MRI. You know, MRIs are, you know, they're black and white uh, or gray. And where the bone should normally be a specific, you know, black or a specific white, um, the signal change was different. It was, instead of being black, it was white. Or instead of being white, it was black. And this was occurring on either side of those discs where, you know, they were showing that M plate disruption and disc degeneration. So, of course, now they're called motor changes. All right. I was wondering where that came from. Yeah. 
So then Great. kind of a second layer of studies came along that said, well, is there a correlation between end plate disruption and therefore back pain and these modic changes? And there's actually about 30 papers, uh, positive supportive papers that have shown that um, yeah, these modic changes do represent or correlate to people with chronic low back pain. And interestingly, some of those papers show that uh, these are also, it's also a patient population that does very poorly with conservative treatments, sure. treatments, and even surgery. So then to kind of pick the game up a little bit more, there's this mainline nerve called the basal vertebral nerve. You can actually, sometimes you can see them on the MRI. Sure. It comes in from the back part of the uh, vertebral body and it goes right into the core, kind of like the belly button of the vertebral body. And uh, from there on either up or down, it innervates those uh, you know, active pain receptors uh, that we were talking about here. And, and then, then from there, uh, Relevant, uh, the company that makes Intercept back in 2006, started to look at, well, you know, what if we ablate that nerve? What if we you know, kind of cut the phone line? In other words, are we gonna you know, get rid of the pain that's coming from these uh, um, you know, changes when the, within the bone. And of course, it actually worked and we'll talk more about that. But the end point is this intercept procedure came along uh, that allows us to, you know, carefully get down to that nerve, burn it off, and uh, hopefully getting a good outcome of uh, decreased low back pain. Do you think the pain in the nerve is uh, due to kind of chronic inflammation? Or is there other reasons that that, that nerve is being upset you know I, I they kind of categorize it into two kinds of let's say situations inflammation to your point that it is that chronic inflammation that's just causing that aggravation within the bone sure you also get kind of a um, a granulate a granulation kind of a form so kind of like a it, that inflammation kind of settles in and becomes permanent and so it's not really an inflammatory action. Maybe it's better said it's kind of like there's been some rewiring of those sure. nerves. Sure. Do you? Uh, I don't know. Do you know the work of Dr. Stuart McGill? Um, he's a PhD out of Canada, and uh, he wrote the book The Back Mechanic. But um, anyway, he talked about end plates a lot yeah. and uh, young weightlifters that uh, disrupt that end plate. Um, through heavy, too heavy of weights. And uh, oh. I know I'm going a little bit off script here, but have you had some young people that have this problem? Well, um, so I just did two 35-year-olds, uh, what was that, two weeks ago, I believe. Sure. So, I mean, I mean, the average age is about 49 when you look at all the studies. Gotcha. So in theory, it's a, it's a younger population. I'm going to call them younger. Yeah, I can do. <laughs> I can concur. <laughs> so, um, but I mean, to your point, uh, you know, you actually you actually load the spine by you're putting force through the you know the the anterior line of the, of, of the spine. Therefore, the end place, the disc, and the bone proper. It all kind of makes sense. I mean, again, I'm going off script here, but what is the pain pattern with this? Is there a pain pattern? Is it? Um, do you want to say something? Oh, sure. <laughs> sure. Uh -huh. Just sit there, right? What, what are we talking about? No, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I, I think we've seen everything kind of uh, across the board, but in general, I mean, we look at people that are having kind of 100% axial low back pain. I mean, so right in the right in the back itself. Yep. Usually, right. I'd say majority of people present with pain kind of at that belt line. Um, sure. Just gotcha. Low back. Um, a lot of the times, you know, worse with any activity that's going to be loading the spine. Sure. Um, Makes sense. Bending forward flexion. We see it. Um, people sitting for a prolonged period of time. And then sometimes with the, the inflammatory cause too, you know, we see some of those arthritis type symptoms where people have a lot of stiffness in the morning when they wake up and sure. generally feel better, you know, if they're moving and, and worse once they kind of stop and let things sit. 
Um, you know, sense, some, yeah. I guess we've had some people that have, you know, some kind of aching radiating into the, the buttocks or the hips, but not anyone, you know, that would present with true kind of radiculopathy. So uh, when you're saying radiculopathy for the layperson here. Uh, oh, yeah. So any nerve pain going down the leg right. or what people refer to as like a sciatica. Right. Right. So that helps distinguish it right away. And again, I just, unfortunately, I have a friend that did this, but he already just went under, uh, went the fusion. So I, I hope he has good luck with it. But um, so let's, let's talk about basically, I, I think we've kind of answered this. Um, what type of patient is a good candidate for this procedure? And uh, I guess, how do you confirm that? Yeah, so the criteria for it is going to be having pain, you know, greater than six months. Um, so kind of putting you in that chronic pain phase. A lot of the patients we've had have had pain three years, some have been 20 plus years. Sure. So a lot of people that have been dealing with this for quite some time. Um, it is approved for vertebral bodies L3 to S1. So those changes have to be taking place within those bodies for us to be able to treat it with this procedure. And you're looking at MRIs, at yep. the image imaging to, to confirm that. And yep. then probably what you're seeing clinically um, also as uh, a correlation. Yep. And we definitely still, you know, run the path of, of looking at, are there other causes of the pain? You know, even if those inflammation and those modic changes are present on the MRI, you know, is there pain related to maybe a disc herniation that they do have, you know, a nerve getting pinched if they do have some of those sciatica type symptoms, um, or are they having pain maybe coming from the joints of the spine, so the facet joints. Um, and we kind of run through that. A lot of people have come to us having gone through all of those other treatments sure. already, um, but if they haven't and they have other physical exam findings and MRI findings, you know, we will rule out some of that first too. Sure. And it's possible they have both, correct? And it's possible they have both. Yep. Right. right. Always makes our job tough. So, <laughs> um, uh, so the type of patient that's not a good candidate for this procedure obviously would be somebody who doesn't have end play problems. Yeah, for sure. You know, uh, they have to pick the criteria, of course, but if they have any kind of instability in the lumbar spine, like a levisomatosis, for example, um, um, you know, infection tumor, if you're under 18, if you have some kind of a pulse generator, like a pacemaker uh, um, or a defibrillator, um, you know, there's always some exceptions. Um, there is some chatter about whether People who have osteoporosis are good candidates because the introducer is a pretty hefty device. Um, so you gotta, gotta make a clinical judgment on that. Um, you know, if they've had fusion, uh, sometimes you can access it. Sometimes you can't because of the hardware and you are creating heat when you do this procedure. So, you, so there's the question of, does that transfer, you know, uncontrolled to some of that hardware? You don't want that, of course. Right. Um, and uh, of course, if you're on blood thinners, you can't come off for blood thinner, or um, if you, you know, have any other major comorbid or comorbidity issues that you know just can't go under general anesthesia. So good, sure, yeah. yeah. Um, so it, the procedure is FDA approved, I assumed. Yeah, uh, 2016 again was the date that it got approved. Um, again, commercially, it came out in 2018. Gotcha. Um, how what the, how does the patient prepare for this procedure? I mean, is it a lot of things they have to do or? So it's actually, you know, pretty simple. It's, it's nothing compared to, you know, what they go through for a colonoscopy, I'm sure. Right. <laughs> Just like, yeah, well. That, that I know. <laughs> yeah. I, so we do nothing, nothing by mouth for eight hours prior to the procedure. So very similar to, you know, anything for general sure. anesthesia. Um, and then in terms of you know, having things prepared at home or fasting. So you can take your medications, um, like Dr. Ekstrom pointed out, you know, blood thinners are obviously going to be something that have to be stopped. And that's, you know, going to be directed by a physician. So sure. a, a pre-op exam from the phys physician and a COVID test 
um, in the day and age we're in now. Those yeah. are really going to be the kind of the major things that we need to prep for the procedure. And have you found is has the uh, procedure been covered by insurance to a, a large extent or? So um, the quick answer is there are just a few that approve it. Okay. Uh, it is a, you know, it, it is a new procedure and, and um, uh, it is just a little bit of a background. You know, there's been a lot of procedures that have come along the world of the spine that just didn't really have great outcome data. Sure. Um, do you remember that IDET procedure? I'm sorry, I don't. Yeah, it was a procedure that was to treat chronic disc pain that um, you uh, you lasso the disc and and, and you ablate actually the nerves within inside the disc. Sure. Okay. And this was just a little bit before my time, um, but they did forty thousand of those procedures before there ever was a level one study done that showed in the majority of those people it didn't work. So you can imagine gotcha. from a patient, from a provider standpoint, and certainly from an insurer standpoint, you know, when new things come along that uh, you, it, it, there, there's cost to be guarded right. you know, for stuff like this. So um, now, you know, what intrigued me about this procedure, though, was on the, on the front end, they did research before it went to being approved by the FDA. Got you. And, uh, and so uh, along with that, the, there's basically five major spine societies that I'm involved with. And, and they all got together and they supported uh, a code because everything we do in medicine has a code associated with it. And that came out last year that the support was there and the government approved. So starting the first of next year, we're gonna have a code which will hopefully make a little bit of a difference. But uh, right now what happens is, uh, you know, you, once you get through our evaluation, um, we kind of stage you up in the company called Relievement that makes Intercept. They put you in kind of a, a portal or, or, or a way to present your case to the insurer. I see. And uh, then we just, you know, kind of runs that process to see if they approve or not. Um, there's two companies that have it on, two insurers that have it on policy in, in the country. One of them is actually Minnesota. Um, but from there, of course, if it gets denied, you know, we do appeal letters. We talk to the physicians on the insurer side. I've actually been involved in some state fear hearings um, to try to get it approved. Um, you know, and sometimes we get it, sometimes we don't. Sure. Um, and I guess now we're actually to the point where we're doing some reappealing. People have already gone through it. We're going back. Well, let's try again. And so there is a can be a bit of a work in progress, and it can take up to ninety days to know if it's approved or not. But uh, you know, we advocate for it if it's, of course, the right patient. Sure. Um, and you may want to mention that the uh, research was positive. Correct. Yeah, um, I, and that that is honestly what got me connected to the procedure. I, I, I started to learn about it in 2019, early 2019. And there were two, two level one studies that were done. And level one meaning, you know, they were randomized, they were blinded. Um, they actually did sham procedures. So I saw that. Yeah, patients got the procedure, uh, had the introducer put on the back part of the bone, you know, hung out there under general or max sedation, sure. you know, and then the, the, the physicians that followed up with them had no idea whether they got sham or not, okay? And I think the, the kind of the two bullet points that I get from the, the research, which again, as you notice, positive is, um, first there was the, the intercept study. And that study was halted because the treatment uh, patients that were getting intercept were having such significantly better results from the control group that the independent you know, data management group that was you know, monitoring all the research right. and all that, he said, ethically, you have to stop the study. You need to put the controls into that treatment uh, group um, because that's the right thing to do. And that is 
as never happened, I don't believe in any kind of a spine research study before, um, certainly not in chronicle back pain. So that's that kind of blew me a little bit. That's um, quite a testimony. Yeah. The other thing is uh, then they did the, what's called the SMART study, which again, randomized and sham and all that. Um, and we have five-year data now. Uh, that it's actually over six years. And again, I, I went through this, it came out last year. Um, you know, two thirds of the patients, now we're, we're talking five, six years out, um, you know, 50% of their low back pain was gone. A third of them had no pain. 75% um, of them, uh, you know, had a, a reduction, a significant reduction in using narcotic pain medications. I mean, that's, that's a real gold changer. Right, right. And this is, you know, even though I am an interventional spine physician, um, over 90% had significant reduction in procedures. I mean, how cool is that? Um, so that, those are some of the data points that really got me motivated to try to, you know, get this procedure introduced to, you know, this patient population. Yes, and for those who are listening out there or watching this, that's a very rigorous study um, by any standards. And, uh, you, you know, I'm going to be in all sincerity here. Um, we, we get do what we do, Bob and Brad, um, that we want to help as many people as we can before we leave these earthly confines. <laughs> and and uh, that's why I became interested in this because this can be so life-changing. I mean, when you have someone that's dealing with pain constantly, everything else goes to heck. I mean, so, you know, if you can flip somebody's life around like that, what a, what a change. I mean, you know, I gotta, I gotta say that this has been, uh, I'm not saying I needed to be rebooted in what I do. I enjoy what I do. Uh, but uh, this has been a, just a fantastic ride to be on to, sure. to working with these kinds of patients. And one of the things that, you know, if you want to talk about getting old and I, you know, I'm a pretty active guy, I cross country ski and bike and all that. And I complain about, you know, my knee hurting or right. Whatever, exactly. Right? You know, exactly. I, I can sit at home and watch reruns of Game of Thrones or, you know, I can get my car and drive up to the cabin, which is about a three hour exactly. drive or, or, you know, two and a half hours if you know where the cops are. <laughs> but these are patients that are, can't do any of that. I mean, they can't right. sit in the bleachers and watch the kids game or, 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 you know, sit in the car and drive wherever. It's just like the little things, those little maybe things that are just with them all the time that are putting them down and household chores. Yeah. And, right. And the, those are the kind of things we're changing, and they're just so happy about that. So yeah. it's been it's, it's, a, it's amazing. That's why, yeah, again, I was totally interested in this and I want to get more information on it. Um, so is it safe? People are so, I'm tr trying to come up with the questions I thought people would ask. I'd ask for my mom. So, <laughs> um, so uh, you can tell your mom. <laughs> yeah, uh, so the safety data, there's, there's less than 1%, um, um, you know, like an adverse event, okay? Sure. This is pretty, pretty good. Yes. Um, there was one case uh, that had, a, because, because the, the, the devices we use are pretty hefty, they, they got a compression fracture, and what was found was they had low bone density. Sure. Um, there's another case that had a hematoma. Uh, you know, so like, you know, some bleeding in the muscles of their spine, you know, where the introducer was placed. Um, those, those have been just a couple, just the two major sure. ones. Um, the, uh, and all of them resolved, okay. Uh, the other issue is some side effects. And I think the, the biggest one that comes up, people can get kind of some leg pain post-procedure. Uh, that runs to be about 6% of the patients. I get the intercept procedure again. It resolves within four to eight weeks. It's funny. Yeah, I you know the first thing that comes to mind is maybe the leg pain was there before, but the back pain was so much that they didn't even know it was there. Oh, but. yeah. You know, you chunk out somebody else. You, you chunk out a piece of pain. I always say sometimes, you know, you, you know, uh, from a distance, you, you see a farm on fire, 
right? Right. When you, when you get close to it, you know, well, the outhouse is on fire and the house is on fire and the barn is on fire. Maybe we take out one of those, you know, from a treatment standpoint. Right, you're, right. Your your back pain, but then there's a couple other things we got to try to put out. To sure. Your point. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you already said the patient's not awake for the procedure. There's general anesthesia. Um, is it performed as an outpatient? The, the goal of this procedure is, is that it should be performed as in an outpatient setting. And currently we're doing them in a mix of hospital and outpatient. Sure. And the length of the procedure? It takes about 90 minutes to do a level. If you add another level, it might add another hour um, at best. Gotcha. Gotcha. So fairly, fairly quick. Um, are there potential long-term consequences if people had this procedure? So, um, you know, uh, we don't think, well, we don't think so. I'm sorry, I'm, you know, I mean, to be fudging here. I was just turning my sheet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, obviously, I can't talk and turn a sheet of paper. <laughs> it's a lot of <laughs> there we go. Yes, I'm getting dehydrated. Um, so uh, I got a couple answers for you on that. So again, there's six years data on intercept, and there's been no long-term negative consequence. Sure. Um, for having intercept done, um, I, I always kind of like to wheel back a little bit to you know we do ablation procedures on the joints of the spine. Right. Yeah, radio frequency. And so now you're looking at 25 plus year data uh, on that technique. And again, except with the exception of in the in the back, you, you can irritate the multifidi muscle, one of the muscles in the, in the sure. lumbar spine um, set of muscles. I can get inflamed or sometimes atrophy. Again, there's no real long-term consequence, as we know, with radio frequency of those joints. So we don't think that uh, there is any concern there. Um, we do know from doing studies when you, you know, you're, you're blading an area of, of the bone, it's about 12 millimeters, about a, you know, just over a centimeter. And um, so you destroy everything in there, not just the basal vestibule nerve. Uh, sure. But through, again, doing some studies on that, uh, the bony matrix does return. You know, the supportive vascular tissues do return. There's no long-term negative, let's say, uh, consequence to the bone. Gotcha. Like that nerve. Yeah, I, I don't think people realize this is actually a, a model from dynamic disc design. They have great models, but I don't know if you'll be able to see that. You can actually see the arteries and Oh, yeah. Vascular, sure, in there, but uh, they do a great job. But um, again, we're, you know, for those of you who can see this, we're talking about the end plates, which is on this side and this side mm -hmm. of the bones that stack up to make your back. So, um, let's see. Oh, yeah. This uh, I was very interested to hear. Does it permanently kill the nerves? Because, you know, you hear of nerves that can regenerate. And uh, is this going to be a problem? It's going to come back. So we don't think it will be a problem that comes back. The idea is that it does permanently kill the nerve. The reason being is that the, the nerve loses its myelin sheath once it enters the bone. And and so sure. for people listening, myelin is just basically kind of a fatty coating, um, helps nerves transmit information faster, and then it also allows those nerves to grow back. So right. similar to people that have had these radio frequencies done, like Dr. Ekstrom was talking about on the facet joints, those nerves do have that coating. And that's why that procedure is redone every six months to 18 months. This is different than that, where once we get rid of the nerve, there's not really any way for it to regenerate itself. Good. So that's pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, that's good news. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah you know, I, I mean, you kind of talked about this already, but everything in the body serves a function. So like these nerves obviously serve the function. So again, there's no downside to killing these nerves. 
Yeah, not you know, not that we know of. Again, going back to the intercept data, six years RF data greater than than twenty five, and you know, I this is just my perspective, but um, I think if you know we get rid of the sensory nerve, right? Right. And we've gotten rid of your your pain. Um, and we'll talk about this a little bit more maybe later, but uh, I'm, I'm a big supporter of rehab. And I, and I always think that now, if you're not hurting, we can get you back into your physical therapist or chiropractor, and then they can tune you up. Sure. And deal with deconditioning or posturing issues or things that kind of got wired in because you're protecting yourself. Because if you didn't, you know, you, your back would hurt. Right. We're creating a safer, more functional spine now. So if they are going to do that lifting, twisting moment, you know, hopefully they'll be stronger. They'll know better what to do. They can posture better when they're doing it, you know. Got you. And so I think, that, sense. you know, in the long run, we're, we're, we're hopefully going to put you at less risk, not just for your pain, but in functionally hurting yourself. Right, right. And I think that's probably what the nerves serve some purpose before to i'm sure to try to stop you from doing that especially heavy lifting so mm -hmm. um how soon can a patient normally expect some relief from this procedure then yeah so we've had patients that have given us significant relief markers at 48 hours after the procedure um, but we say, you know, with any kind of radio frequency procedure, it can take up to, you know, six weeks to kind of see that full effect. So if anything, you know, about six weeks is when we'd kind of expect. Gotcha. So there's probably some maybe inflammation yet there from the surgery am I, am I, so, or for the procedure, I should say. Yeah. So Dr. Ekstrom does do IV steroids during the surgery to gotcha. kind of help with some of that post-procedure inflammation. Um, I don't know of anyone yet that we've sent in any oral steroids no. or anything. No. So yeah, but maybe some post-procedure pain just from, yeah, that introducer going into the bone. And, um, but other than that, you know, starting to kind of see the effects about six weeks after. Sure. Yeah. So for planning's sake, you know, if patient, you know, how long will they not be able to go to work? How long will they not be able to go to school or whatever, you know, Yep. So we say BLT. So no bending, lifting, twisting until your first follow-up. So we like to see people about seven to 10 days after the procedure. Gotcha. Um, so within that time period, it's kind of take it easy. One of the things is we don't want people to feel so much pain relief at 48 hours, 72 hours. Right. They start doing out, stuff. Start hiking and playing 36 holes of golf right, and, right. and then come back and say it didn't work. <laughs> um, so, you know, usually if people aren't on any work restrictions before the procedure, we don't necessarily put them on any after. Of course, that'd be kind of case by case if they're, you know, really laborious work and things like that. We'd have to kind of look into sure. maybe bringing restrictions down a little bit. Now, I know this is a relatively new procedure, so there probably hasn't been anybody that's done, you know, 200 of these. But how many have you done, Dr. Ekstrom? Do you mind if just giving yeah. us a ballpark figure? So, yeah, I've done about 16 cases to date. Sure. Um, we got two scheduled coming up. I think we got six pending. We've actually put about 70 people through, our, through the portal uh, over the last year and a half. Gotcha. And uh, your success rate? You mind if I ask? Yeah. Um, so we're we're not getting enough people who are trying to objectify, you know, sure how well they're doing. You know, there's different pain scales and you know osteoarthritis or you know functional yeah. scales. But we're figuring that out now. So anecdotally, this is what I would say: every we've had no complications. Okay, people are mm -hmm. leaving the hospital after the procedure within about an hour. Okay. Um, we do give them some pain meds, but, uh, only, uh, I don't know, we're debating whether we should do it or not. People have called us back after procedure and they, they have, uh, been doing pretty good. We've had nobody with any of that leg pain stuff. Sure. Okay. So 
in all follow-ups, patients have said that they're glad they did it. It's, it's had a positive effect on their chronic low back pain. And then I categorize them into kind of two, two groups. About a third of them are, are much better, but we're still working on some other things. You know, maybe you have SI joint issues or so sure. forth. Um, two thirds, I think I can say it's been life changing. Um, and nice. again, really back nice. to kind of like, wow, this thing really, really works. Um, and, uh, and so that's why, I'm, that's why I'm here today to talk about it. So when you were talking about the medications, you're talking about narcotics that you feel like it may not be required after the procedure, you think? Yeah, I'm, I, I'm really debating it. I, I, I do give patients a small amount of narcotics uh, for any post-procedure pain. Um, I, I mean, I think really over-the-counters, you know, NSAIDs could probably sure. work for most of this patient population. Of course, they're in that kind of that, 35 to 55 year old window. So that should be safe to do that. Sure. So. And I'm assuming that some of these people probably were on narcotics already. I know that you're yeah. cut yeah, down. So we definitely got a couple people off their chronic, pretty high speed narcotics. Um, and uh, we've also been able to lower narcotic load in these patients. And of course, I'm I'm not a huge proponent of narcotics in this patient population. So right. right. Exactly. So we work on that. Yeah, it's been quite an adjustment uh, going from that. I know a lot of uh, physicians, you know, they were trying to help their patient. And my mother-in-law was one who was on it for a long time. So mm -hmm. um, can a patient still have a, a spine surgery if the procedure is not helpful? Yeah, we had a, we've had one case uh, going into it. She did have a, a pinched nerve. And this is, this is actually a really great case because there's a subpopulation of patients that, you know, they have a disc herniation. They'll go and see the surgeon. The surgeon will say, I can take care of your leg pain, but I can't take care of your back pain. Sure. And, yeah. um, and this is sort of that kind of case uh, only... It, it, it got a little flip because we went and we took care of the motor changes in her back pain, but her leg pain got worse because of her disc protrusion and she did sure. afterwards. Yeah, makes but certainly, sense. yeah, they can go on and get surgery uh, if it's a fusion for one other reason, a instability or, or maybe a new disc herniation or so forth. Gotcha. And we're trying to keep an open mind with surgeons to kind of know, you know, if, if there's someone, especially within this age range that they're mm -hmm. thinking about doing a spinal fusion on and they have motor changes, well, you know, is this a procedure that we can do beforehand and maybe make the outcome of the fusion? Right. Um, because yeah, you know, when it comes to hardware, posterior spinal fusions, you know, getting the the trend or introducer kind of in that area is going to be harder. Um, so maybe trying to treat the back pain before they undergo the surgery. Right. Makes, you know, makes total sense. Get everyone on the same page. Sure. Someday. <laughs> so after the procedure, I mean, are going to people need a walker or crutches or do they need to have an adjustable bed or do they have to sleep downstairs? You know, all these things that are, you know, really, you want to know because you got to prepare your house you know, or yourself. Yeah, no, it, there's no medical equipment, you know, needed, you know, no walk or anything like that. Um, if they want to sleep downstairs on the couch, if there's a fight between them and their, you know, spouse, significant <laughs> other, that's fine. Um, but we don't require it. Sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, ice packs are probably going to be the biggest thing they'll they'll need and it, it'd probably be nice to have someone at home with them in case there were any complications yeah. or if they're taking narcotics and they make them drowsy and right. that they can't drive but other than that nothing is required to be at home with them so after you do the procedure um what is your process of uh communication between you and the patient as far as you know, they have concerns or problems and Dr. Ekstrom um, or, or myself, someone will call the patient 
within 24 to 48 hours after the procedure, sure. kind of courtesy call, ask them how they're doing, you know, make sure there's nothing of concern going on. And then after that, we plan to see them in clinic again, seven to 10 days after the procedure. And Stacy, our wonderful patient coordinator, um, is the one who kind of reach, reaches out to them, make sure that follow-up is set, and then they have our phone number in case any concerns arise. Yeah, I think I forgot to mention this. Uh, Stacy will have her information in the uh, the description below too, so you could go right to her if you are yep. in the area or in the model five state area and you want to drive a little bit. Um, absolutely. Not Canada. Not Canada. Oh, yeah. you know, we you like don't want the Canadians. <laughs> we love the we Canadians. Love <laughs> Bring the uh, maple syrup. We're good. There yeah. we go. <laughs> They, they're just allowed now to, um, again, Dr. McGill, who I had on a podcast, he couldn't see his son in New York because he was in Canada, but now they're oh. opening the border again. But so um, what symptoms, if you, after you had the procedure, would warrant a, you know immediate attention that they should call you right away? And So... Um any new, you know, symptoms in the in the legs, so weakness in the legs, um, significant pain in the legs, or pain that they just feel they can't control with the pain medications we gave them over the counters. Um, a lot of the times, you know, we tell patients if you're worried about something, call us. Sure. Uh, bowel or bladder incontinence, um, so not being able to control. Uh, urine or stool, you know, some of those things would be more emergency related. It's generally if there's any drainage from, you know, the procedures. Oh, sure. If they have fever um, or they just simply feel ill, they should call us right away. And we, gotcha. we have a call. On call service, yeah. yeah. I, I hope I'm not getting too much into detail, but, you know, these really are questions we often get, you know, after somebody's had a, a surgery or procedure and they really don't know the answer. I mean, so, um, so when can the patient drive again? So I, the biggest inhibitor of that would just be if they're, when they're not taking narcotic medication. Gotcha. gotcha. Yep. Otherwise there's not really any physical limitation. And bathing? So we say about 24 hours to not soak the bandage. Usually stitches are not required for the procedure. Um, so it's usually just a bandage. And, yep, 24 hours. We don't say soak. You can shower, though, if you need to. Gotcha. And uh, household chores, they could start those also with the 24-hour period? Yeah, kind of after the 24 hours. You know, again, like the BLT, you know, avoid bending, lifting, sure. and then I always say, uh, you know, don't lift anything more than a gallon of milk. That's gotcha. Less than 10 pounds. Gotcha. And uh, when is it safe for patients to resume uh, sexual relationships? Um, people want to know. Then there's, there's no restrictions on sexual limitations. Okay, good. Very good. Is there anything else that you want to include about this procedure and mention? Well, again, you know, I, 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 I have described myself as an interventional physician, spine physician, but also describe myself as kind of a function doc. And uh, we always wheel back um, through the process of working somebody up, in this case, intercept on where can we revisit physical therapy or some rehab direction. And, and so again, I, I tell the patients that are coming in for intercept that at some, at some point, the end game is gonna be getting you back to your therapist. Um, that icing on the cake, you know, I, I can get rid of why you have your pain, I hope, but I don't get rid of what that pain's done to you. And so uh, hopefully, um, you know, getting along with the therapy component, we get people with the outcome that they're hoping to get. Yeah, it's music. I, <laughs> I didn't for you, but that's, that's the honest truth for me. Yeah, I forgot to ask that question. Uh, they will receive uh, physical therapy afterwards and um, usually how involved is that? Um, so I, I tend to write for eight sessions and sure. um, I, uh, I kind of have 
lack of a better term, I have my physical therapy homies, you know, that, <laughs> you know, that I, I really value their opinion and, and their hands. Sure. So really manual therapy along with other parts to that are, are what they need. Um, and um, I just say, go in there. Uh, here's my recommendations for this therapy group. Um, get at least four in four sessions and then, sure. then think about it. I mean, is it making a difference or is this, you know, you're okay. Then if you're okay, then we're, we're done. But if, if they're on to something, then they just continue to work through those full eight sessions that I recommend or more, of course, if needed. And I always throw back at them too. I mean, what, what are your goals here? I mean, we get you feeling better. Are you a golfer? Are you a cyclist? Uh, are you, you right. know, are you just a power walker, whatever, you know, um, Make sure the therapist knows what those are too, because you know that's what we want to help you out with as well. Yeah, you want you know they're you're opening their world back up, and you want to see what they would like to re rejoin. You know, yeah. basically. Yeah. So, well, I I you know again I can't say enough for this. I I wish I would have known about this. You know, I wish it would have been around years ago. There's really I you know I think back to patients I had that seem to fit in that category you know and um like i said this friend i had i wish i would have had him look at this before uh but um you, you know don't waste any time you can there's a lot of information on this available online and also um you you stated that you'd be willing to someone could talk to a former patients of yours yeah uh there's a couple of patients that have certainly uh it's not like we're asking everybody I'm, I sure. more than yeah. just a couple, but uh, one in particular, you know, Karen Ryan, she's one of our first, she's actually a, a nurse at the Mayo system. Oh, nice. And uh, uh, she's actually referred to me from an outside spine group, uh, which. That's the greatest complimentary, complimentary of all. Yeah. And, uh, and I know him well, he's a great guy. And, and so in any case, uh, he's greater now, of course. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but, uh, you know, you can, you know, watch Karen's story or listen to it. And, uh, and she's been a great resource for actually all of our patients that have gone through this process. Yeah, that's a great oh. video. Um, that, 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 you know, could bring a tear to your eye. I mean, it, when you it, it does every time. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Well, um, again, we'll have all the information below. Uh, we'll have uh, summitortho.com and we'll have your uh, assistant. What is her name again? I'm sorry. That's uh, uh, Stacy. Stacy. Yeah. yeah. We'll have information to get a hold of her and, and some of your locations. And we'll have uh, the video of Karen. And uh, thank you again so much for coming on on explaining this in great detail um i think it will help a lot of people um you know who are suffering needlessly at this point mm -hmm. so yeah well thank you for having us yeah, it's it's an honor uh, yeah thanks yeah, i've been watching you guys forever so yeah this is this is great all right that makes me wonder about you but okay. <laughs> he wonders about me all the time <laughs> all right We'll stop it right here. Thanks.